It's like filling the bathtub to wash your hands. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Actually, you know what? That's how we're going to start the show. So you're, you're keeping that in. No. No, no, you are. So we're, we're going to talk about this. So you're... It seems weird. That you, what, should we leave? We're gonna leave the train here in the beginning too. All in. This is gonna, this is gonna be the worst start to a show ever. Okay. I thought you were gonna try to make it so that I did less editing. No, no. <laughs> okay, so you're gonna, you're gonna keep that first bit in. Okay. So you have no. I know you're not not like natively a Mac guy, but you have no opinion, and you have no installed text editor on your computer. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay. Do you know what I mean when I say text editor? Oh, I absolutely do. Okay. So you're taking down uh, quick little notes to uh, try to make editing this show a little bit easier, but you've elected to do it inside Pages, which is a word processor. What what makes that? Um, why is that? Uh, it came with my Mac Mini. Actually, no, that's not true. It came with my uh, Retina MacBook Pro, but then I now can download it on my Mac Mini. Okay. Well, anyway, I, I strongly encourage you to to download TextMate. You don't to, you don't have to go nuts. You don't have to go get BB Edit or something. Um, but download TextMate. You'll enjoy. It. It's much more lightweight. Just uh, whenever you just need a box on your computer to write something, and it's it's much better. I I, I just do very little um, writing or text editing um, in general now. I mean, I'm an accountant, right? So I I speak in numbers, Carlos, as you know. Um, but then I also. <laughs> do like i can see the entire audience rolling their eyes right no that's that that was the intended effect um, but but then you further slice that into the amount of time that i spend in os 10 and you know that the, the little time that i do spend there it's not spent writing okay but hmm. all right i still think if you install textmate you would just find tons of little times where you just need to to be writing something down and it's it's just convenient to be able to spit out a markdown or a, a just a standard uh, plain text document. Because like, what are you going to do if uh, in five years when Apple stops caring about uh, iWork, which of course they'll do, and and you have all these files that are unreadable by anything? Because what what the hell opens a dot pages document? Have they are have they not already stopped caring? <laughs> well, we already talked about the whole part where most of my college documents in that. Because I had this one-year period where I was weird, and I thought, hey, let's let's not use Microsoft Office. And then Apple decided, oh, if you made something in something older than iWork09, it doesn't work. Enjoy having nothing to show for your college career. Really? Yeah. It's, there's, it, an, there's not even like a read-only option? No. It said uh, – I, I thought I sent this to you. If you open a document that was created with like iWork08 or older, it says uh, you need to go find a version of the software that's older than 2009. And it doesn't give you any help. It just says tough shit, basically. I vaguely remember talking about this on the show, but we've actually now been doing this for so long that it's kind of hard to remember. Hmm. We're over 50 episodes now. By the way, last week was our, our last show, anyway, was our um, 50th episode, and we, didn't, we did nothing to commemorate it. That seems like a big shame. I know. Seems like a missed opportunity. Feels like we have to like go back and like edit something in or something. Or maybe we can just say that uh one fifty one is the big the big uh milestone now. hundred and fifty one? Sorry, whoops, no, that's that's twenty eighteen. Uh fifty one. Oh. That's more yeah, that seems more reasonable. Yeah. What class was it? Uh what are you what are you talking about? Hold on. 
Is this, is this what the people tune in for? You think? Yes. Hold on. I found the I found the paper and I found the error message. Hold on. I'm just gonna send this out real quick because the error message is just so ridiculous that you just. Ugh. There has to be a way to at least view them, even with like some third party tool, right? I'm not sure anybody cares. Like of three Mac users who chose to use iWork. Anyway, it's in the Slack. This document can't be opened because it's too old. This is an official error message? It literally says, because it's too old, period. And the only option's okay. I appreciate the honesty. It, it's just, that's, it's crazy. So to open it, save it with pages 09 first. What, what does that mean? Who knows? It's 2015. Where do I get pages 09? <laughs> It, if if Apple still offered it, it probably would have a link, but they probably don't. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I, me- I remember that last time and I was, I was just shocked by how, like, it was just ridiculous. Huh. Ugh. Anyway, where were we? Oh, yeah, you need, you need to download TextMate. I don't know. Has the, has the show actually started? Uh, who who knows? I think that's mainly it. So, again, like like I said, in my perfect analogy, using pages to just write some, uh, some time codes is like uh, washing your hands in the bathtub. Or drawing a bath to wash your hands. No, I like it. I like it the first way there. Sure. Simpler. It's your show. You can you can tweak it any way you want to. I can I can slice it and dice it any way I want. All right. Um I hate starting shows with Apple stuff, but I, I is there any other way? Or do you wanna Well that's not in that's not in accordance to your official podcast outline. No, no, this is just a random topics we've talked about during the week and we're trying to organize. I, I do not plan for this show. These are these are not ranked in any particular order, and I do not want to start the show with Uber, so I have a I have a screenshot that says otherwise. All I did was reverse chronologically go through the Slack. Well, that's more than I did. I know, you're phoning it in. <laughs> All right. So I think we have to talk about Apple, right? I mean, we generally do, I think, every week. Okay. I mean, there's a there's a lot of Apple news. I think um, Jason was talking about this on the uh, we're on a first name basis now um, on the most recent episode of Upgrade, where I mean, th- this is the time of year. You know, th- this is the big this is the big Apple push every year. This kind of like late September, early October time frame. Yeah, there's the dog days of August, and then September just comes in. Yeah, the, the Apple days of fall. No. But let's let's give it a shot. So, do you want to start with uh, the iPhone stuff and kind of the iPhone 6s reviews pouring in, um, and kind of leading up to Friday, or do you want to maybe start with uh, ad blocking? No, I I think the ad blocking thing makes sense to almost like save for the end. I like where we I like where we kind of do the longer form topics near the end. Okay. So yeah, we can start with the iPhone stuff. Go for it. So the embargo lifted on the iPhone 6S uh, early review units, I guess, either last night or this morning. I guess it was this morning, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe, it, isn't it normally like midnight Eastern or like, you know, nine o'clock Pacific? I feel like it was this morning, though. Let's just go with that then. Yeah, I don't think that's really that important. Um, so the highlights, you know, seem to be sort of what you would expect, right? Like 3D touch, people generally enjoy... Um, everyone says that the camera is a, a huge upgrade. Um, and that's, you know, that's kind of what they, what they say. I mean, uh, live photos seems kind of like a gimmick. Um, I mean, that's kind of like what's new, right? 
I mean, I, I think those are those are kind of like the three big things that reviewers have been highlighting. Sure. I think, although I'd push back and, and say that I, I think it's maybe not the opposite, not that they're bad, but I think a lot of people said that uh, that uh, three with 3D touch, not force touch, is kind of mediocre in its current implementation and that it's not terribly useful and that the camera is mostly the same and that live photos are pretty cool. Maybe it's just because I, I read uh, Joanna Stern's review from the Wall Street Journal most recently. And her big harp was, uh, or uh, complaint, was that the battery was actually a tiny bit worse to about the same, even though people kind of really want the opposite. They think that's the most important thing that their phone's missing. And that live photos are really cool, but that um, 3D Touch is kind of, it like has potential, but maybe isn't super uh, useful right off the, right out of the, out of the gate. I mean, yeah, I think that's... I mean, we'll we'll get to it when we talk about the iPad and the the watch. Uh, but I mean, I think that's that's going to be the story of a lot of this stuff. Is er, early days, we just you just can't really tell because third party apps haven't been updated to support all these new features yet. Yeah, but again, overall, I like a lot of. Again, it feels like sometimes you just all, all you listen to are technology shows. But uh, I, as long as it's even just a little bit faster, and it sounds like in in this revision, it's faster in a lot of ways. Probably for me, what'll be the biggest one is Touch ID, because that will just shave countless seconds off my day. But but I mean but I mean I I know that sounds lame, but it, that being faster is just so much more pleasant. And if the camera's even a little bit better, and if the phone's a little bit faster, it's totally worth it. I totally agree. I think Touch ID two, which you know they only mentioned really in passing during the event. Um, is also something that's gotten highlighted in a couple of the reviews that I've seen. And um, I mean, the best way that I've seen it described so far is that in many instances, you feel like you don't even see your lock screen. Like by the time the LED on the screen lights up, like you're already at your home screen. And that, that I mean, that sounds pretty great. Yeah. And that's probably down from what the, the one and a half to sometimes four seconds. Because do you ever get that one where it just, it gets a little weird and just, it's not, it's not wrong. It's just thinking about it. I get that, and then I, I just get the random occasions where three or four times in a row I try and just nothing, and I'll have to eventually enter you know my password. Yeah. So I'm excited for the improved camera, and I think live photos might be cool. And what has drawn out of some of the reviews that I didn't know beforehand is that apparently it's using the accelerometer to decide when to cut the video, which makes it seem more intelligent and that there's more potential for live photos than just if it took a random extra second and a half on either side. So I think that's neat. Well, you mean that if, if it detects that you took a snapshot and then just quickly moved the phone out of the way, it won't do a live photo? Or that it will know to maybe add more to the beginning or like trim some of that off if it knows just whatever's at the end is just worthless. Oh, yeah, I, I was wondering how it was going to handle that because you know, especially when I was using my uh, phone as my camera when traveling a couple of weeks ago, like there were many, you know, quick shots that I took where I know I wasn't holding the phone steady for like three seconds. Sure. Yeah. So that's gonna be cool. Um, but overall, let's, let's talk about battery life. We've already had like discussions in the past of why doesn't Apple ever think that it's necessary to prioritize battery life. But, uh, with this phone, the battery life has actually shrunk a little bit. And while they get some savings on, like the processor shrinking and some software improvements with iOS 9, it's actually a tiny bit worse. 
So do you th- do you ever think there's going to be a point where Apple maybe makes it a priority since that's what every single person wants? Or are they going to continue this like endless quest for thinness and this weird like battery life number they seem to be okay with but nobody else really likes? No, I think battery will be a point of emphasis at some point, but I I think it'll come in the form of some new battery technology that Apple kind of helps pioneer. And I, I can't really see what that is yet, but um, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's obvious that Apple's not just going to make these devices slightly heavier and slightly thicker uh, to get more battery life. I mean, the, why they simply don't just make the phone a couple of millimeters thicker so that the camera lens is flat and then, you know, just basically fill all that extra area with battery. I have, I have no idea why they don't do that. But wouldn't that be the perfect phone? I, yes, I think so. And I, I just, I, there has to be a reason why they don't, but I would love to know what that reason is. Because I mean, I think there's a delicate balance with that. And I think that's one of the things with like the iPad Air 2. A lot of people were like, oh, it's it's thinner. Why they just put in a bigger battery? But like, I think the iPad Air 2 strikes a really good balance where you still get a solid, respectable 10 hours of battery life of active use, but it did get thinner and lighter in a meaningful way because it's comfortable to hold none of the iPhones have ever been uncomfortable to hold. So it's not a problem they have in that regard. So I, I don't see why they can't have a device the thickness of an iPhone 5S that delivers exemplary battery life and doesn't have this weird camera bulge where it, ro- where it like rocks back and forth on a table. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it either. Um, you know, one thing that has been bothering me a little bit kind of on this topic is a lot of reviewers have come out today and have pointed out how, you know, the, the 6S is heavier than the 6. And I've, I've seen the line used a couple of times where reviewers have said, you know, this is the first time in Apple's history where they've actually made an iPhone heavier than the previous model. And that's just simply not true. The 4S was heavier than the 4. Was it? Yeah, I'm. I actually just double checked it um, before mentioning it here on the show, but by a it was meaningful a, amount, three grams. But I mean, I think what, I think what is that's that in English. <laughs> I think that's comparable to the um, additional weight uh, from the six S compared to the six as well. Well, no, the six S is like a good half ounce heavier. It's like it was. Four... What, what is that? What does that mean in grams? <laughs> Again, I speak American. Um, <laughs> no, I, grams, I, I am, I am, I don't think I'm a dim person, but I honestly don't know what a gram is. No, I know, I know it's a unit measurement, but I don't know what it is relative. Ugh. I mean, Siri may or may not be able to help you depending on whether it's working right now. How many grams are in half an ounce? It's 14.17 grams. Yeah. So three is nothing. Okay. Also, I think Siri's gotten way faster. I I agree with that. Also, I I don't think I I think we mentioned this on the last show, but I love the fact that it doesn't ding at you anymore, and that it just does that vibration, which lets you know when to talk. It's great. It does ding on the iPad though. Let's see that. Oh, because well, it doesn't, it doesn't have a vibration motor. Wait, really? iPads don't vibrate. Oh, you're right. They don't. That's where I've never thought about that. Why would it? I don't know. Huh? Interesting. I've never thought about that. Okay, so anyway, half an ounce is is fifteen grams or whatever she just said. Um, so I think that's a meaningful bump in weight. Which again, if there was, like, I that's probably mostly attributable to the Taptic engine and the extra layer on the touchscreen. 
But again, I just don't see what's the problem with making it a little bit heavy. Anyway, we, we, we've, I think everybody agrees, but this is just one of those weird Johnny Ive things where until it's paper thin, it doesn't really matter. Uh, can I also just kind of take this on another little sure. tangent? So I'm I'm still looking at some of these like iPhone four and iPhone four S like comparison photos. Mm-hmm. It, this phone absolutely just looks like a relic now, which I think is just amazing. It does because I still see those f- fairly frequently, and it it's yeah. It was it was a timeless, beautiful design. Uh, to begin with and the retina it was the first with the retina display so it always holds like a really special spot for me but it it does not really hold up and i I think where i get really hung up on that thought is you know sitting here holding and looking at my iphone 6 the exact same thing is going to happen to this phone like three or four years from now which is amazing but i don't think that's going to happen with the 5s the 5s is just so beautiful I completely disagree. In a couple of years, we will look at the 5S, the 6, even the 6S, you know, eventually, and we will have exactly the same reaction to these that we currently do to the 4 and the 4S. That, that's just like, that's a crazy thought, I think. Agree to disagree. I think the 5S is like a classic car. Hmm. See, I think, I think that screen is too small now. Well, it certainly is. I think the iPhone 3GS is a... Um... It's a Chrysler Sebring. <laughs> oh, that that analogy holds a special place in my heart. So it's it's it it got the job done, but at what at what at what stylistic cost? I one can make an argument that the Sebring did not get the job done, but that's a uh, different topic for a different show. <laughs> it did for Michael Scott. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so so overall reviews seem to be uh, seem to be positive, but it's probably going to take um, probably at least like another three months for it to really shake out and for us to see what 3D touch really holds and whether or not live photos actually um, becomes more than kind of a gimmicky feature. I think it, I think it has a time and place, but I think here's one thing I don't know, or maybe uh, maybe you can tell me if you've read a couple of reviews. Is there a way to convert live photos? Like to be that I I took a whole like I want to leave live photos on permanently, but if I found that it's completely useless, I can flatten it out and reclaim the space and just make it a standard JPEG. My understanding is that when you, you know, kind of like save the photos on your computer in a, in any other way, like export them, I guess like save them to Dropbox or something. They they do just save as regular images. So yes, presumably there would there would be a way to do that. Hmm. Okay. But I was hoping for like a button that said like convert to still photo or something. I mean, maybe there is. I, I don't think that's something that's really been talked about, but um, it seems like just a raw JPEG is in there somewhere. Okay, good. But it also sounds like the ad- amount of additional space which is being taken up by the you know live photo portion of the file is fairly minimal. Well, not really, because uh, uh, the average live photo takes about 10 megabytes. Whereas a standard like still photos, maybe two to four. I thought Apple's in the event said that it was, it didn't take up a lot of extra space. Well, it's, it's not like video. Cause again, it's, it's a stack of lower resolution, um, JPEG. So again, it's not a movie or a, a video file, no matter how much people keep saying that it is. So, but no, it's, it's still a, a, about double or if not a little more than double. Hmm. Another reason why the 16 gigabyte phone is, is just, a, an evil proposition 
Yeah, I you know, and I I did my civic duty uh, this weekend. Uh, my my sister, who's on the same AT and T plan as I, um, it was she's due for an upgrade. She's on kind of like the S upgrade cycle, and um, she asked me about the sixteen gigabyte phone, and I you know I I said Courtney, I I will not let you buy the sixteen gigabyte phone. I I will not facilitate that purchase for you. And she actually, she's been getting an error message indicating that she's been, like, running out of space. So she actually, she, she got it. She's like, oh, yeah, okay. So she got the 64. But I think, you know, I, I, I sent this to you in the Slack this week. And, this, you know, this is a trademark phrase. So don't, don't take it from me. I'm going to make the, here's the thing. I've, I've already printed the shirts. So prior art, there's no way you can. Damn it. Well, but I can, I can show our Slack chat history. I, I, I'm the administrator on the Slack group. I can edit this. <laughs> it's friends don't let friends buy a 16 gigabyte iPhone. Again, I haven't made the design, but I I do think as a joke, I do want to mock it up and it's going to have uh, the 16 gigabyte printed exactly the way Apple does, like inside the circle. Yeah, that'd be pretty good. Yeah. It's just... I... Didn't it, somebody it, do the math right? And if you, if you have a, a 16 gigabyte iPhone out of the box... You mean the 4K video thing? Right. Was it you that I got yeah, this from? 32 How minutes. Mu- <laughs> That's pretty good. It's just insane. Yeah. Um, it, and I like the the parody Jonathan Ive uh, Twitter account that I follow had a pretty good post. It was today or yesterday that was joking about how the iPhone 7 is going to be 16, 128, and 256, which I think is pretty good. It, it is. But so, do you want to speculate, or do you have ideas of why this is, or I, I, I think it's, I think it's, yeah. A lot of people have said this. That it's kind of the most simple theory, and I, I totally buy into it. Where, um, you know, there's, you know, a lot of margin in that extra hundred dollars going from sixteen to sixty four, and I think having the structure the way that it is they encourage a lot more people to go to that middle tier versus if they offered 3264 and 128 and i think i mean i just think there's a lot of profit in that extra $100 because clearly it doesn't cost apple $100 to go from 16 to 64 of course it doesn't because you can go from 64 to 128 for the same thing <laughs> that's a good point um so no i i i think it's as simple as that but then I, you know, I struggle, if, if that is the case, I struggle with the fact that it seems like you have to weigh the economic benefit of that versus the just absolutely awful, awful user experience that the 16 gigabyte phone offers. Well, does it? Well, okay, a couple things. So do you ever think there's a situation where Apple would ever turn the starting selling price of the iPhone 7 into 699 instead of 649 but make 32 the entry level do you think they'll ever ever make it uh, go away from 650 because i know they don't want to but do you ever think that would be the compromise maybe i mean i i think it'd be one of those things where they in at least in the press at least which you know you can make an argument how much this that really matters uh but in in the press they'd get killed for doing that um, but it, even if they did, you know, that would go away the following year. Cause if that just became the new standard price and everybody would forget about it the next year. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess that's something they could do, but I mean, I understand. Yeah. I mean, I agree that it's a poor customer experience. Like I, 
the thing is not everybody needs that much space but people do well, you know, I think the thing – by I think uh, – I forget if this also was on Upgrade or some other podcast I've listened to. But the point was made that like by any reasonable standard, you don't, you don't need to be any sort of tech nerd or anything. Just any sort of normal iPhone user, by any measure, 16 gigabytes is not enough. I disagree with that. Like uh, again, it's wrong for me. It's wrong for most people. But I think there are certain – there are people who make do with 8 gigabyte 5Cs. Because if you're just using it for email and texting and maybe an occasional photo, that's still fine. I don't think – like because Apple likes to position themselves as like a customer experience company or somebody who really – like they, they put a premium on the user experience and making the right choices. And that's why Apple's design philosophy is so um, – like uh, not argumentative, but like it, it's very opinionated. It, I, it just – it's – Right. It just confuses me as to why they think that 16 is okay. And it bugs me that they let a business decision of driving up the average selling price to make a worse experience for a lot of customers. Not all, but a lot of them. Because 16 becomes, with the operating system, becomes 12 gigabytes, which once you install a handful of apps becomes 10 gigabytes. And you take a photo that, or you take a video that is at 1080p of some children's soccer game and then you have three gigabytes of space left and then you you can do nothing so that's just not a good user experience and apple could solve that and i think that would go a long way towards engendering goodwill from and repeat buyers like do you do you ever think people are going to hold 16 gigabyte phones against apple like right now, people always make those complaints that, oh, Apple Apple's releasing new software to cripple my phone. And, and, and that's why new versions of iOS come out, because they, they want you to buy the new one. But do you ever think that people are going to put two and two together that Apple should be providing more space and that 16 gigabytes was tolerable in 2010, but is not anymore? I mean, I, th- I think eventually, yeah, but I... I actually think a lot of this is a moot point because I do think that with the iPhone 7, they'll they'll go um, 32, 64, 128. Or they might even do like 32, 128, 256. The storage sizes, I think, will change next year. I don't think 256 comes out for a really long time. Maybe not. But at the at the very least, I, I think 16 goes to 32. Well, at that point in time, do you do you think it stays 650, 750, and 850? Cuz then that's even worse. Why does 32 to 64 cost $100? Um, well, I 16 to 64 costs $100 today. So, so again, so why why next year am I getting less for my money? Oh, I I I see what you're saying. Um, well, like so you're making progress on one front, but now it's le- it's less fair on another front. Well, but to be totally honest, I actually had never thought of the fact that for the same price point, going from 16 to 64 was not as good of a deal as going from 64 to 128. I, I actually had never considered that. So, all right, not picky. Or no, it's it's a really good observation, but you like, know, because it's always like the whole marketing thing. Like you give good, better, best, or like you always want you you give somebody a really, like a really cheap option and then like an extravagant option, and then you guide the customer towards the middle. Like it's the oldest marketing trick in the book, and and it makes total sense. But people especially with cell phones and technology, people become irrationally cheap. Like if that, if that makes sense. Uh, well, I, I mean, it's, it's, I think that's easy to explain. How so? With, or maybe with phones. Sure. What's that? Well, because of the subsidy model that we have, but we're breaking that out or people are breaking well, that out. Well, 
Not really. I think really. Well, people are still financing their phones, which is what they've always done. Well, but that's so th- fine because then uh, uh, choosing whether you're financing six fifty at twenty seven dollars a month or financing seven fifty at thirty one dollars a month, you're like, oh, I get four times as much space for four dollars more a month. Hell yeah, sign me up. Yeah, but people still aren't really imp- appreciating what the true value of the phone is. That's I think what they we're talking about. I, I think right? they definitely do. Because when somebody sees that their their phone plan instead of being $100 a month and they're paying $200 for this fancy new phone, that they're paying $60 a month for their phone service, but they're paying $31 a month for a phone, I think they're like, wow, 31 times how how long does this go on for? That, that's a terrible deal. What, this phone costs $700? I think, I think that's still definitely going to be a thing. Maybe. But, I, man, I'll tell you, like, this this weekend explaining to my sister all these new pricing models, I mean, it's it's a nightmare trying to explain to somebody. And I and that's that's the phone company's own doing, unfortunately. But it's also Apple's doing because the iPhone upgrade program is a step forward. But they have been so resistant to ever allowing people to understand what an iPhone actually costs. And the only time in the past five years that anybody has heard Apple mention the retail cost of a phone is if they walk in with uh, that they lost their phone and Apple's like, oh, uh, here's your terrible news. It's seven fifty. Apple, in any keynote or product release of the past five years, oy, just they have never mentioned anything other than one ninety nine, two ninety nine, three ninety nine. So I feel like I feel like this is a natural segue into the iPhone upgrade program, which is another kind of topic that we have. Sure. Um, I maybe this is completely irrational, but I I still just feel like something's going to go wrong when I go to buy my iPhone on Friday using this new program. And I think it'll be fine. I do too. Like the rational part of me thinks so, but I guess I'm just so used to like something going wrong with my carrier or like, I'm just going to get in there and I'm like not going to be eligible for some reason. I don't know. Like I just, I feel like something's just going to come up. I don't think that'll be the case. Yeah, I, I just don't. I think Apple's interest is just to sell you a phone, and as long as you meet the credit qualifications, I think you'll you'll be completely fine. Yeah. It does. It it does really feel like we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, but. For people who upgrade every year like we do, it really does just seem like an absolute no-brainer. Like, why Why wouldn't you? I agree, but only on the grounds of convenience. Like, I don't think it's it's a, a, a screaming deal on, like, a, a, fi- a financial merit. I don't think it's a bad deal, but I think from a convenience standpoint, just being able to... and Because assuming they don't screw the people that are on the iPhone upgrade program next year that you're able to place a pre-order or a reservation the exact same way. I think it's it's super convenient and allows you to avoid the hassle of eBay and that kind of stuff. So I think it's a great way for Apple to own the customer experience and build customer loyalty and turn people into perpetual iPhone buyers. Because the problem with this is if you don't upgrade every year, then yes, you've paid full price for the phone and nobody wants, like much in the same way that people don't like admitting the full cost of phones, people don't like... Americans would perceive that as having lost money, even though you haven't lost anything. So it keeps people stuck in the iPhone trap, which we'll talk about later. But anyway, I think I think you'll be just fine, and the iPhone Pro upgrade program will go go through without a hitch. And you'll just pop your SIM card in, restore your iCloud backup, and since it's iOS nine, it probably won't restore properly, and it'll be all good. 
the the SIM card thing is actually one of the things I'm wondering about. If they're just going to pop the SIM card out of my current phone and you know put it in the 6s, or you know if they'll reprogram my AT and T account for the new SIM card that's in the six already in the 6s, because presumably it'll have one of the, those Apple SIMs, right? I uh, no, no. You don't you don't think so? No. Oh, okay. So there'll just be no SIM card in the new phone. Correct. Like if you purchase an unlocked uh, GSM iPhone 6, there is no SIM card whatsoever, but it does come with Apple's uh, SIM removal tool. Hmm. Um, whereas if you buy uh, in the United States an AT&T, a Verizon, or a Sprint um, uh, specific device, it will come with the, the SIM card of your carrier. So no, so Apple Apple SIMs will not be coming to phones for quite a while. And it does not come with the um, SIM, SIM removal tool. Correct. So you have hmm. to go buy your own paperclip. Hmm. I think that's that's probably a worthwhile investment anyway, though. Those things go for like fifty bucks a piece on eBay. <laughs> it's it's like not upgrading the software on your phone. It's 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 uh, eBay loves that. Hmm. So yeah, I think I've iPhone upgrade program will be fine. Um. So let's see what else. What else? Do you have any? Well, actually, we'll save uh, iOS nine for the iPad stuff. Okay. Um, so did you read the article or did you glance over the article of is the iPhone or iCloud a trap? Not really. I saw that headline and I, I felt like I knew the direction that was going, but um, why, don't, why don't you explain this here? Well, it, it's mainly just a, a general question. Like this person makes a, a, a decent case. I don't necessarily agree with it that uh, the iPhone and uh, iCloud make for what's called a happy trap where people year over year become more invested in the Apple ecosystem and with Apple's proprietary technologies like iMessaging and iCloud and live photos and all these things that are going to be somewhat proprietary to Apple that you're willingly kind of pushing yourself into a trap but that he makes the case that Apple should be providing more of a way out that Apple in its endless pursuit for customer satisfaction and fairness and openness actually apple well apple doesn't call themselves open but they definitely make the case that they're customer friendly but that they should be doing more to allow people to if they would like to either play nicely with other things or be able to exit the the ecosystem better so do you would you agree that a lot of apple's things that add convenience could also be described as vendor lock-in do you think people do that willingly? And do you think Apple needs to provide a way out? Um, yeah, I, I do think it's a form of vendor lock-in. And I, I think some people recognize that and are okay with that, you know, myself included. And no, I, I don't think Apple's under any obligation to offer a way out. I mean, should they? I mean, maybe. But I, I certainly don't see that as like an obligation that they have. So I would disagree. Like I, I, again, I'm willing. I completely acknowledge that a lot of this is vendor locking, and I and I, if I wanted to untangle my life from Apple, it would probably be a huge pain in the butt. Like I, there's a lot of like I am completely bought into iCloud Photo Library. Most of my text message conversations happen through iMessage that I'm able to access across all my Apple devices, and uh, a lot of the applications. Which this one I don't think you can really hold against them, but a lot of the applications I use are iOS exclusives. But things like iMessaging, 
that working cross-platform becomes an issue. Like, let's say for some reason, like you, let's say you were a person that only had a, a work phone or you had a personal phone that you used for, for work and personal. But let's say you, for some reason, had to switch to Android. It would be a problem if you had to detangle from iMessaging because for a week, you would probably lose a whole bunch of text messages and people would be sending things to the wrong wrong email address. Like, that's kind of a pain. And overall, I do think that Apple does have some responsibility in a customer satisfaction move to allow people to kind of take their data out of iCloud. Like, I genuinely think that's that's something that's kind of important. Like, I, I don't think I would ever use it, but I would feel so much more confident in knowing that there was just like an export button for iCloud Photo Library. I, I, I guess I, I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, one of the things that I remember like early on when starting to use Google services, you know, specifically like contacts and calendar, is you, you could always export that stuff into like XML or I think like CSV or a couple of other formats. And that, you know, that always did make you feel good knowing that you, you could kind of get out at any time. And, and Google I mean, like is actually uh, like for all the times I knock them for not being open or using that hiding behind this like fake veil of openness. If you go to google.com slash takeout, they actually have a way to get all of your data out of every single Google service that you would have like some reasonable amount of personal information in, in open and accessible format. So you can take it wherever the hell you, they want to. I mean, I think that's really important that Apple should be competing on the quality and ease of use of their services and not solely relying on vendor lock-in. Because for me, just like, because uh, I'm I'm not a paranoid person, but I'm somebody who likes to back my stuff up, I would feel way better if I could maybe once a year just back up all my stuff in case there's some, some catastrophe, my account gets compromised, or if I do need to leave the Apple ecosystem at some point in time. I mean, for for what it's worth, I, I do, and and now that this is a like a good solution, I'm just saying it's there. Is I think there are third party tools that can take unencrypted iPhone backups and extract certain key pieces of information, like text message history and um, like contacts and things like that. But all my devices are encrypted. Well, again, I'm not, I'm not in it. I'm anyway saying that's like a good solution, but I mean, I think that's there. Um, I mean, I, I think this whole conversation comes down to whether you view this as something that Apple is obligated to do versus something that they should do. I, I think those are two very different things. And I, I, think I do agree. Well, you, you do think that it's an obligation they have. And I, I, don't, I don't see it quite that way. Hmm. I do agree that it's something that they probably should do for just a, purely out of a customer satisfaction um, issue. But... I, I can't I can't really see what the argument is that this is like something they're obligated to do. I mean, I don't think this is some weird like Microsoftian like antitrust thing that they should ever like be compelled to do, but I think again, Apple is a company that innovates quickly and offers a compelling suite of products for people that makes it like I I don't I don't feel forced into using a Mac, an iPad and an iPhone. I, I feel like that's a choice I make. And that those are generally the best in each like class of the devices. Like, does that make sense? Yes. And I think Apple should realize that that's a strength that they have and they have services that help keep that all together. And they should feel confident to be able to allow people free, like free and routine access to their data and not have to worry about that. Like, I think there's a whole ton of value in that. 
So I think I think it is something they should be obligated to do. Especially me as a paying customer of iCloud. Like maybe make that a paid feature. Like that if you, if you're uh, if you pay for iCloud storage space, you can actually like download like a zip archive of all your data if you want to. I don't know, just you can monetize it. I don't care. Just I think it's a reasonable thing to expect. Okay. Well, I mean, I you know I I don't I don't passionately disagree with that. I just I just have a hard time really seeing it as an obligation. That's all. Okay. But it it is it, I agree that it is something that they probably should do. Yeah. All right, you and also, it's kind of like on just like on a quick little related note, the uh, the whole uh, move from Android app that they you know they put in the Android or the Google Play Store, um, just their the response to that was just hilarious. I, I think the 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 low reviews are funny just because again, the only thing worse than an App Store review author is an is a Play Store review author. <laughs> but also, the the tricky part about that is if anybody tried to submit a move to htc application to the app store there's not a chance in hell that's getting approved and i think that's super super weird well i think so uh so gruber called this out this week and i i think the only grounds that an app like that would not be allowed is if it actually named android by name or like samsung or htc or but they, they could make a they could make a generic app that did that without using those like company names or key phrases and i, I think it would it be accepted so, it so, should, you're, should so be. you're saying that if motorola wants to do it they should submit an app called move to the company that used to make that one phone that everybody liked right like that's not that's not a reasonable expectation and i think that's just really lame like just remember, do you remember when um the pebble the pebble color is that what it's called when that came out like uh, six months ago, right, and that like Apple was rejecting applications because it uh, because it named it supports Pebble in the app description, right. It's stuff like that. Come on, come on, guys. I mean, there's there's a lot about the App Store, and we we could have an entire episode of stuff about the App Store that's dumb. We'll, we'll do it once we do that Amazon episode we keep talking about, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh. All right, so so where do you where do you want to take this now? So I feel like um, I feel like I mean this is predictably an Apple heavy show, but I think what we should do is is continue to group kind of all this Apple stuff together and then save any of the non Apple stuff for the end. Sure, and if anybody wants to skip to the um, some of the other stuff, go to hour two and uh, hour two and forty two minutes. Okay, that's 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 nice that you can predict that ahead of time. We actually did we didn't edit that in or anything. Just at the rate this is going. Um. So I think the next place to go is maybe WatchOS 2. Sure. So this uh, this finally came out. Finally came out um, uh, yesterday. So it was supposed are, to come are you out on ingest. I am. Okay, good. Uh, okay, that was supposed to come out on uh, Wednesday the sixteenth, along with iOS nine. Last minute bug came up. I actually, don't think we talked about this on last week's show, but a la- last minute bug came up. Was not released last Wednesday. Uh, came out yesterday. Um. So predictably, I, I knew this was going to happen. Um, so last Wednesday, I, in preparation of it coming out, had brought my charger with me to work because I had remembered during the 1.01 release that the requirements were your watch had to be at least 50% charged and it had to be plugged into a power source. So in, you know, in preparation of being able to install the update at work, I had the charger with me on Wednesday. But then when it didn't come out on Wednesday... 
Like I, I wasn't going to, you know, bring my charger into work every day, just waiting for this update to come out. So when it came out yesterday, I, you know, didn't have my charger with me, which I, is really stupid. Like I, I totally, I, I get it, especially because like if an update on an Apple watch goes bad, I, I don't know how you fix that other than just bringing it to the Apple store. Cause there really isn't like a plug into iTunes, you know, kind of last ditch effort like you can do with an iPad or an iPhone. Mm-hmm. Um, but still just having to have it plugged in is just, it's, it's a huge inconvenience, but it, it is what it is. Um, so I updated last night. Um, the update process was, was kind of a nightmare. Like I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't get the update to download my watch app on my phone was telling me that I wasn't connected to the internet, even though I very much was. Um, I restarted my iPhone and then, you know, that error went away and I was able to download uh, the update. It was like a 550 megabyte download. Took probably 40 minutes to complete. Uh, it was really slow. And then the update itself, I feel like it took close to an hour on its own just to install. Uh, was that was that your experience too? Yeah, when I downloaded the update proactively at work, I th- I thought it literally took two hours to download from from Apple servers. And I'm not sure why, because most of the iOS 9 download probably would have been over with. Um, and yeah, when I went to install it, it said I wasn't connected to the internet. I had to restart both my devices twice to make it work. And then it said my watch was out of space when it wasn't. So that, that eventually worked. But yeah, it took a good hour to to install. So so then the thing with mine was when it looked like it was done installing, like I, I could tap on the watch and it was, you know, back at, at back at my watch face. I looked at the watch app on my phone and it still said I was on version 1.01. And I said, oh, my God, you got to be kidding me. And but then when I looked at my watch, like the the font, at least like on the calendar complication appears to be slightly different. I don't know what they've done, but I could kind of tell right away that like something had kind of visually changed. And so I when I looked at the about page on the watch itself, I could see there I I was actually on version 2.0. And then eventually the app on my phone updated to reflect that too. Well, good. So I, I, but I, I kind of feel like in some ways that what we just talked about, kind of the actual process of upgrading, is sort of like the thing that I have the most to say about so far. Because I, it seems like a lot of what makes Watch OS 2 different from its you know, first iteration is stuff that relates to third-party apps, which you know, simply only you know, a dozen or so apps support right now. Like I, the, the two headlining features are third-party complications and the fact that third-party applications run natively on the watch. And until we get those updates, um, and it's my understanding that those updates were not being accepted until today, um, you know, I just feel like there's kind of not a whole lot to talk about yet. Yeah, I mean... Uh... I think it's a little bit snappier and certain things have been refined on it, but, and it's got, it's got time travel, which I I've played with and don't really find terribly useful. I think, I think time, I think time travel is completely worthless. I mean, maybe that'll change once we get some other like third party complications in, but I, I was messing with it today and I just, I can't think of any scenario where that's useful. Like well, the, the, the one demo they did where somebody, somebody is, uh, has to look at their schedule and what, what gate they have to fly in. Like it's all like, if you're having a really heavy travel day, maybe. Maybe, but generally, no. I think it's just something I'm accidentally gonna use when I when I hit the crown, which is really annoying. 
like to me, it seems like it's just like so the two the two things that immediately come to mind right are what your next calendar appointment is and maybe like what the forecast is for the rest of the day, like what the temperature is going to be like the rest of the day. It just it feels like both of those things are quicker to accomplish by simply just going to your calendar app or by going to your weather app. Sure. So I mean that that doesn't seem terribly useful, but it does seem a little bit snappier overall. And I was hoping uh, more stable, but uh, today I got the first um, random reboot. I've ever had on the on the watch. I've had a lot of complaints about it, but random reboots were not one of them up until today. So good. That good happened. That. that happened to me a couple of times early on when I first got my watch. I mean, I'd have times when it would become like things wouldn't work right, and I would have to restart it. But it wasn't like the watch is inoperable and it's just going to the Apple logo. So I mean that that seems fine, but overall. I mean, I, I think there's the best part of it will be native applications, which will make certain, like, I still don't think this is going to be an app centric type of device. I don't think it's going to change the fact that most things are too small and too difficult to use, but I think it will probably address the, um, things are too slow and there's too much latency for it to be worthwhile, which for me was generally my big complaint. So I think that will get better over time. The custom complications I don't think is going to be all that useful, but I am glad that OmniFocus is one of them, and there will be ways to integrate that kind of stuff. So because like I don't use the default calendar application, and I don't use Reminders, which I is there still no Reminders app on the on the watch? There's not. Uh, which pretty, is which is actually a good. big. It's a big reason why I use the Fantastical app. It's it's one of I was actually looking at this when I installed WatchOS two. It, it tells you how many apps you have installed. Mm-hmm. I think I have five. I still I, have... I should actually look at this. I, I it was some really really small number, and and you know, Fantastic Cow was was one of those, and a, a big reason for that was the fact that it does show you reminders. I think I still have like fifteen for some reason. I tried I tried combing that down, but I still I mean I have I have eight. Yeah, I've got way more than that. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, I mean that's that's lame. I just I think the installation issues and it's kind of the bugginess compounds a product that is already what I would describe as too fiddly for most people. And this just kind of just polishes that even further. So I'm not really sure what to do about it, but eventually hopefully the it stuff becomes more useful on it. But I just, from a developer's perspective or from, if I'm trying to take a developer's perspective, I don't see that the time investment's worth it to really be focusing on this, especially after Apple, uh, I, I can't think of another better, more PC term, but just jerked people around with having to write applications for this fake thing for what was all of five months into this really high latency emulated watch kit platform. And then five months later, oh yeah, you can make the real thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this this is another thing that Jason Snell brought up on this most recent episode of Upgrade is he he would have much rather seen, and I agree with this, Apple just take the iPhone approach and say, hey, version one, we're, we're not supporting third-party apps. They could have been better about it with the watch, though, like unlike the iPhone where they tried to do the whole, oh, you know, WebKit is third-party apps. Um, they, they could have just, just come out straight up and said, hey, we want third-party apps. We've seen how important they are on the iPhone and the iPad. We're going to fully support them or just we're not quite there yet. You know, we're we're coming out with the watch. That this current hardware will work with third party apps when the second version of the OS comes out. We're just not quite there yet. Like I think they would have come out and said that in April when they released the watch, 
that would have been totally fine. And I, I, I not only fine, but I think that would have been the better approach. But I mean, you understand why they did it, right? No. Because you don't think Apple was like really nervous about the, the, the watch as a product to begin with and that they just had no idea what it was actually for. So therefore they tried positioning it as, as this great fitness device, which it's not. They tried to convince you that it was some great timekeeping piece, which it's not. And that it's this like great app platform, which it's not. They just threw everything against the wall because they didn't think there was enough there. And that just led to like split focus and a really crappy experience for early adopters, for developers. And the negative opinions people probably had about it probably stopped a lot of other people from buying it. Like as we've talked about last week, I don't buy the 97% customer satisfaction score on this thing at all. I kind of like mine, but, and I'm somebody who will put up with a lot of fiddliness, but I, I, I definitely think they should have waited. And I also just think it's just kind of lame and disrespectful to the developers to say, oh, make all this cool stuff and you have to make it in this really crippled way and release the real thing like five months later. That's, that's super lame. I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. And then I had one, if we're going to wrap up on the watch, or at least on this section of the watch. Do you like the term complications? No, but, I, but my understanding is that it is a, it's a watch term. Uh, that, is, that is absolutely true. And I think it's completely unnecessarily pretentious. I think Apple, they keep, do you remember like during the whole introduction video where like as a Johnny Ive is in his white room and he's like, we, we talked to horological experts and all this about like master timekeeping. Like why? You're not making a watch. You're making something that's supposed to make that obsolete. Like I think Apple took this weird approach of trying to be so true to a product category that's like I think the fashion for the fashion like centric approach that they took is important because it separates it from all these weird like Android wear watches that are just like screens on your wrist that have no have no taste. But they they just got so weird about the watch stuff, like trying to make it so that like there's some like fashion house or some somebody competing with Rolex. So that they have to get rather than calling them widgets or like uh, like whatever mini apps or whatever would be a useful way to describe what it is. They have to use this funky terminology that I think just would turn people off. It is just the weird the, so much about the way this product was marketed and developed is just weird. And I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think a lot of people think about the phrase complications that way. And well, if you, I actually, if you, see, if you see an app update that says now supports watch complications, do you think anybody's going to know what that means? No, but I also don't think they're going to view it as like pretentious. I think they're just going to be like, oh, okay. I don't, I don't really think they're going to consider it much. <laughs> and actually, you know, I, I've actually kind of come around a lot on the fashion angle too. Like we, I'm sure if you come around, I'm sure if you go back and listen to our episodes leading up to the release of the watch, I think one of the things we talked about was like this whole fashion angle is really dumb and why are they spending so much time on this? But, you know, now that I have a, a third party steel band, um, and, and your Hermes cuff is coming. Hey, my Hermes, my Hermes cuff is in the mail. I think, um, I actually totally get it now. Um, I, I get the, I get the fashion angle of it because I, I, I feel like when I have that steel band on that it's, it's almost like a different device and actually like I, I, I didn't do it and I, I really hope I, I don't, 
But I, I like ever since they offered the black official steel band like separately, I I keep thinking like, oh man, that'd be. But would you wear that with the sport? I would, yeah. I actually think the gray and the black would be kind of nice looking together because it, it'd be it'd be very similar to like when I'm looking at the sport band here. You know, the the watch itself is more of like a gray color, and then the the band is a, is a dark black, and I think that actually looks really nice together. Hmm. I mean, it's 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 too damn expensive, but well, that's um, the thing that that's where I'd be like, if you were gonna do that, I assume you would buy the the steel watch, just because if you're gonna spend well, more I, more on a band than you did on the, on the watch. Believe me, I've I've thought about that too. Uh, but I mean, that's I I just I bring this up to to emphasize the point that you know six months ago when this thing came out, I I would not have even remotely considered that and i think we were explicit about that on the show but the fact that like now i'd even kind of entertain that i think speaks to apple actually is pretty smart with the whole fashion part of it well no so so like like i if, if you rewind what i said like I, I do think they were right on the fashion angle i think back in the uh in the early days before it came out or as it just came out i think i would have mocked the addition part of it and i still do i still think that's a silly way to split their attention but I think it's all the stuff of trying to keep up with like the history of timekeeping to, to it, which is just complicated, complicating <laughs> a, a, a new and interesting technology product by trying to bring like to, to shoehorn all this weird history on it. That's, that's my problem. But no, the fashion thing I totally get and like, like I thought the steel one looked very nice and I thought the variety of bands was cool. Like I really wanted to like the leather loop and all those. So no, I think that's a very important way of of making this a differentiable. That's a word. Product. I, I don't think it is, but a product that can be differentiated. I'll I'll allow it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks, Your Honor. Thank, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> you almost said thank you very much. <laughs> that's, you were that's, that's what they that's what they say in response, right? You're welcome. <laughs> they say it's all good. Oh right, yeah. I've watched enough Law and Order. All right, and to to round out the watch, uh, I will just say that uh, I've recently upgraded, and even for a product I don't like, I do think the the steel is a nice worthwhile upgrade. Yeah, so that the, this has kind of flown under the radar here. We were kind of burying the lead with this Apple Watch discussion, but you you've upgraded from the sport model to the steel model to the black steel. It's very nice. I like it. I'm wearing it with uh, the product red band and I, uh, I'm enjoying it very much. I went for the, I upgraded from the 38 to the, uh, the 42, which I think is a touch too big. And the 38 was a touch too small. Yeah. I, um, I was really, I was really surprised when you, when you went with the 38. Um, I just, I just feel like, I just feel like that the 42 is, is kind of, I think for, for most guys, the 42 is, is the right size. For me, yeah, I think it's just a tiny bit too big. And the 38, yeah, it was just a little bit too small. So I don't know. I don't think I made a, a terrible decision, especially for what was like a, a, an impulse buy that I forgot about. But um, 42 is a little bit nicer. Everything, um, the the touch targets are definitely bigger, which is nice. So I'm less likely to touch the wrong thing. But yeah, Space Black looks uh, extremely nice. And I just have to find a nicer band for uh, different occasions. But I really, really, really like the the red uh, the product red uh, sport band. Well, I'll I'll um I'll send you a link to the black um 
Well, you have the steel now, so it's going to be the wrong color. So I, the, the metal band that I got is specifically for the sport model. It's like meant to match that color. Yeah, I, and, and not to knock yours, but I, I don't like the way space uh, the space gray looks. Hmm. It it's it's strange. I think it looks good, but I. Hmm. It's weird. It looks very good with the with the black band, and I think nothing else. God, I'm sitting here looking at the 42 millimeter space black stainless steel Apple Watch, and mm. it's because the it has this nice subtle shininess to it that isn't obnoxious like the regular stainless steel is, but but adds something nice. So how do you feel about working out with it? Because you're, I mean, you're you're a fairly avid runner, and no, I took spend... I took a run with it last night. It it it's heavier, but it feels good. I I wouldn't ever want to run with like a link bracelet or a, a leather, but with a sport band, it's almost no different than the other one. It's a tiny bit heavier, but I don't know. It feels it feels more substantial. I like it. Hmm. Yeah, you know, one of the things actually that's irritated me recently on my Apple Watch is my the the one that I have now has a huge scratch on the screen. And that's hold okay, let's go back to that. So this the, so the the steel ones there's a couple of other benefits to it, which is that it has the, the sapphire crystal on it, so it's far more durable against scratching. And after like what was it, 4 months with the Sport, mine had a decent number of scratches on on the whatever the Ion X or what whatever the hell Apple BS marketing uh, talks about whatever's on the screen of the sport ones. Right. And then, it, it, it's like Ion X or something. I think you're right. Yeah. But, so, yeah. I, 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 maybe I mentioned this last week. I forget, but I, I noticed on my trip, I don't think it happened on the trip, but I just happened to notice it then. I, I have a huge scratch and it's a pretty, like when you rub your finger on the screen, I, you, you can feel it. Oh, yikes. Um, yeah, it's, it's really annoying. And I, I probably could get it fixed, I'd imagine, relatively inexpensively, but it's it's, it's annoying that it happened. Yeah. Man, this 42-millimeter space black stainless steel with space black link bracelet, man, that's a, a sharp-looking watch. It is. But it's yeah, I, I, it's $1,100. But, but the link bracelet <laughs> is the part where you can totally omit that. Yeah, see, but I think that's what makes it. So I, I really, really, I mean, I, I've, I guess I've always, always, always liked the um, link bracelet. It just um, seems like it would be such a pain any other time. Like it, it seems like it'd be uncomfortable most of the time. No, I mean the the metal band that I have for mine currently, um, I, um, I, I think is pretty comfortable. Like wouldn't it? The, th- the thing that is kind of a bit of a, a hassle is changing bands because, like you know, now that I I wear that steel band like as my like my daily band, um, and then every day when I come home from work and then go for a run, it's a, it's a bit of a hassle to change the band. But you know, what are you gonna not, do? What are you gonna do? Get a Pebble Steel, uh, right? Or no, get a, get a get a an Android Wear watch now that it works with iOS. Oh yeah, I forgot that that happened. <laughs> so did everybody. Yeah. Just because one Apple won't let them get the deep integration, which I mean, whatever. That that's kind of a weird impasse that they because they'd have to open too many hooks into the operating system. But also, why, why even bother? Yeah, I, I. I don't think anybody wants a Moto Seven Twenty for their uh, for their Apple Watch or for their Apple phone. I can't. I can't believe that you are 
seriously making me consider a steel Apple Watch. I'm like looking at this now thinking like, yeah, this is pretty nice. Maybe maybe go for a try on. It's I like it just cuz it feels it feels way more substantial and I think it I just think it it looks I don't want to say classier, but it it looks oh, anyway, I'll stop. Yeah. Ugh. It's quite nice. And for somebody like you who you like um like you like a nice watch or a nice uh, like I, nice jewelry a little bit. You've always you've always been that way. I have been, yeah. Anyway, maybe stop. Yeah, I mean, I mean, in the years leading up to getting the Pebble, I, I wore a, a very nice Nixon uh, watch that I got in college, um, and I still really like that watch a lot. And and coincidentally, the link bracelet on that watch is almost identical to the link bracelet on Apple Watch. <laughs> anyway, right, we'll move on. Yeah. So, uh, all right, keep going with Apple. Um, um, I think so. I guess the other Apple topics, yeah, to get them out of the way here. That so quick one uh, news came out this week about the Apple TV working with Bluetooth headphones. Um, I, you know, as someone who lives in a studio apartment and who has talked about using their PlayStation Four as their primary Blu-ray player, simply for the fact that the controller has a headphone jack that I can use. Big big fan of that. Um, and it, it apparently also has a like it's called like a late night mode or something where it will. Um, lower the volume of everything except for uh, dialogue, which is pretty cool. I wonder how well it actually works, but um, that's that's pretty neat. It is that that's a, that's an interesting technology. I hope I I would hope that works with everything, and not just like iTunes Store movies. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. I I could see it only working with iTunes movies. So I could actually see that they ha- would maybe have to do something like special with the way the sound is encoded. Well, because that's the thing. Because normally you would have to, um, like, you would, wouldn't you have to have all the audio up front to be able to? I don't, I don't know what the audio terms are, but to like normalize it or to to identify what like the peaks are. I don't think you can do that with streaming. Yeah, I, I don't. It's hard. It's really hard to say. I don't know. But I mean, even if it is just with iTunes rentals, that's actually how I watch most video on the Apple TV. So I'd, I'd be okay with that. Yeah. That seems cool. It seems like again that most of the Apple TV stuff uh, features and like the new things about it seem really thoughtfully uh, thought out. <laughs> Other than, except from the gaming part of it, right? I think that's um, it for Apple TV. What's that? I think that's it for Apple TV. Yeah, I mean it's you know still no pre-order, still no you know official release date. So there's, there's really not a lot to say right now. Yeah, I mean developer kits are out there, so you know I bet we'll sure. probably learn. Bet they are. Um. We'll probably learn some more like over time, um, but yeah, I don't think there's going to be a lot to say until it actually comes out. Yeah. All right. Do you want to talk about your iPad Mini Four, and then we'll maybe chat a little bit about iOS nine? <clears throat> yeah, I think that's kind of the last big Apple topic. So, um, got my iPad Mini Four last Friday. I got it all set up this weekend. Um, you know, the first impressions. Um, it it is surprisingly thinner and lighter than the iPad Mini Three. You know, when they talked about it at the event, I sort of dismissed it as like, yeah, yeah, you know, Apple always highlights how, you know, devices are slightly thinner and lighter than the previous model. But it's remarkable holding them side by side. It, it's, it really is kind of night and day. Um, and I, you know, we talked a little bit last week about how the smart uh, cover uh, is not compatible from previous models to the iPad Mini 4. And I had thought maybe it was due to thickness, but it's actually because the iPad Mini 4 is slightly taller than the iPad Mini 3, which I didn't realize. 
Um, but it, it makes it a lot more pleasant to hold. I think it's similar to the experience you've had with the iPad Air 2, where this the weight is kind of distributed distributed over you know like the right surface area. Yeah, it doesn't feel too heavy to hold with one like in one corner with one hand. Right, and that's exactly how the iPad Mini Four feels. Um, you know, the iPad Mini Three just feels like an absolute dinosaur compared to the iPad Mini Four. Um, so that that's nice. That that's really really nice. Mainly because it was an iPad Mini Two. Um. Well, two 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 dot five maybe. Yeah, two point one. Yeah. Um, and so the other positive things, um, the screen is, is fantastic. Um, you know, it has that same kind of like laminated, laminated finish that the iPad Air 2 does. It's, it's, it has that, like, I guess, like bonding technology where the, the display is actually bonded to the glass. So there's no, you know, air gap in between. Um, and it's, it's, it's really, really nice. Um, it just lo- looks absolutely fantastic. Um, so, you know, th- those things alone, really just the, the lightness, the thinness and the, the better screen, um, really has made this a nice upgrade so far. Um, and then also the fact that, you know, I have access to the, uh, iOS nine multitasking features, which, you know, we'll, we'll save that until we get into the I- uh, iOS nine stuff. But the, the fact that I have that available to me now, I, I really like, um, but then I guess kind of like on the the the, the negative side, um, I I don't really feel like performance is noticeably better. Um, like you know, one of the things that I had uh, seen when running the iOS nine betas over the summer on my iPad Mini three was that a lot of the animations throughout the operating system, including and really most you know noticeably the uh, app switcher, just really wasn't very good. All the all those animations were were kind of choppy. And kind of unfortunately with the iPad mini four, I've kind of seen the same thing. I mean, it's a, it's a little bit better maybe, but a lot of the animations throughout iOS nine are still just not very smooth, um, which is really disappointing um, and does detract from the, the user experience. Um, so overall, you know, I just, I, I haven't really been wowed by uh, the performance much. Um, and I, I think it kind of makes sense because you, the iPad mini has the exact same screen resolution that the iPad air two does, uh, but it does not have the same processor. Even the, the mini four doesn't have the same processor as the air two. So it kind of makes sense that, you know, performance might not be quite up to snuff, but it, it, it is still somewhat um, disappointing. Yeah. That's a shame. Cause I, I mean, I was really excited that they, because I mean, the, the iPad mini is a form factor that works for a lot of people. And it was weird that it got, kind of the the cold shoulder last year but it's nice that they've addressed most of those things but it is weird that it isn't still as responsive as as it should be or because you'd always want the newest thing that apple has in a certain product category to be able to pretty competently run the latest operating system and if it's still stuttering on that that's a bit of a disappointment but if the screen quality is better and it overall it feels good to hold then i think that's that's a pretty big upgrade I agree. I think even considering the disappointment in, in performance, I, it's still early days, but in my first, you know, four days with it, I've been really happy. And did you go Wi-Fi only again, or did you do cellular? I did. Just Wi-Fi only. Um, again, like we've talked about, it. it's just here in my apartment 95% of the time, and then the 5% of the time it's out of the house, I can usually very easily connect to a Wi-Fi network or just, you know, tether it to my phone. Okay. 
<clears throat> I mean, I, I, I get the whole, you know, it's only 10 extra bucks a month or whatever, but just between that and the initial extra $120 up front, it just, I just, I would not get the use out of it. Gotcha. All right. So at that point in time, uh, let's, let's move into iOS nine and particular, let's talk about the, uh, the tablet customizations first, since we're, we're already on the iPad. Yeah, I, I think the um, the story there is really similar to Watch OS 2, where we're not really going to fully understand how useful these features are until third-party apps support them. Because, you know, you, you, your third-party app needs to specifically be written to support both slide over and split view on the iPad. So, you know, until more apps are updated to support that, it, it's kind of hard to say how useful those are going to be. Um, so I feel like when I when I say what I'm about to say, it's a little unfair and until we see that. But I at least so far I haven't found either of those multitasking features to be particularly useful. Hmm. And but you have you tested it out? Like have you given it a good earnest try with the with two applications that support it to see if you think you'd like it? I did, yeah. So I, I kind of w- w- was trying it a little bit um, on Sunday, like when I was watching some of the games, um, having Safari and a Twitter client open at the same time. And I mean, it, it was it was kind of nice, but um, I, I think you had made this comment. Like sometimes it just feels like you're almost better off just running apps in full screen and then just you know app switching between them. Yeah, I mean, and, that, and that's what I had a specific question for you about is that do you think that makes sense on the iPad mini? Because like right now I'm testing it out on the iPad Air 2 and even on a 10 screen, it seems a little bit cramped. And I just think that it, it based on how I remember the mini, that might be even like more magnified or the opposite of that, actually. Um, You know, I, I don't actually um, I don't actually really find the screen size to be be that big of a distraction um you know, like I'm, I'm sitting here using so like slack is one of the apps that's been updated and like i've got safari and then slack open side by side and you know i i think the slack window probably looks a little more natural in split view than safari does i mean safari almost ends up looking kind of like your iphone and actually it's probably close to the size of like an iphone six plus now that i think about it mm-hmm. uh, um but no i actually i don't i don't really find it to be too crammed i, I really don't hmm. all right and I, i'll be like i said I, i'd be really interested to see when more third-party apps support it if um i will start to find it more useful and then maybe you can answer one other thing for me do you know when you're doing the the split view um, and then you want to change which app you're you're doing the split view from in in the right hand side you drag down. But what happens if you have like fifty applications on on the iPad that support this? How on earth do you get to them, or do you just have to scroll forever? Uh, yeah. So uh, Mike and um... should I just have listened to Upgrade before I did this show? Basically, yeah. Because that's really all I do is just reiterate what they say. Um, so they, they talked about that and yeah, that, that, that seems to be with the way that it's currently set up, that seems like a huge problem, but they're not even alphabetical. Right. They're, I think they're just sorted by, uh, the last time that you use them. Is that true? I believe uh, so. Probably. 
um okay. yeah that seems like a uh that seems like a huge problem which they'll they'll have to address i would think at some point um and i and i uploaded into the slack uh one of i was trying a productivity task and it looks like it works out pretty well uh so this is um what is this here uh this is uh oh so this is i think when you and i were messaging earlier today and then uh, you have Instapaper open next to that. Yeah, and you got Eddie Q dancing and, and cheer me on. That Eddie, that Eddie Q gif has to just be the, probably the best on the internet. I'm not sure, but it, it's pretty close. It's got to be a top five. Yeah. And that, I mean, the, the pink shirt, I mean, bravo. But I, I, I'm extremely proud of myself that I beat you by like, like a solid like five seconds. Yeah, that was disappointing. I you're slow well, to draw. I, yeah, because my internet connection was slow. I was like, ah, oh, he better not beat me. Yeah, well, I mean, I was I was just on LTE, so. Yeah. All right, and have you had any time to experiment with the um, with the uh, the keyboard gestures? No, I actually. That's funny. I had played around with them a little bit when um. I first installed the iOS 9 beta, but I completely forgot about them this week with the, the new iPad. I haven't thought about that at all. So I really like it, except for the fact that I can't seem to figure out how you initiate text selection. It's, it's two fingers, right? Well, no, you do two fingers just to get the cursor to move at all. Because if you just move mm. one, nothing happens. Maybe, maybe is it three? That can't, no. I don't know. Because I think I found or I got it to work is if you start with two fingers and then you tap one and then it sort of does it, but it, I can't get it to do it again. So I think that might have been a mistake. Got it. So yeah, I haven't really. Um, I guess I haven't really come across a situation where that would have come in handy. Hmm. Like the with the the I just haven't really like, I haven't done any sort of like word processing or anything where I, I guess I don't I don't really think. I don't really think I've had a use case where those gestures would have been of much benefit. Sure. That's why we need to get you having a Mac OS X text editor. Well, this is for iOS, though. No, but then you'll have documents to share. Mm, got it. Yeah. All right. Any, so iOS 9 uh, on the phone and just across everything. I think it's, it's, uh, it seems like a nice worthwhile upgrade, but it seems like it has a lot of inconsistencies and just weird stuff in it. Particularly, I guess for me, the biggest uh, knock, we'll, we'll get to the positive stuff. But for me, I don't like the way that search has been redesigned. Because it's, it, you can be accessed by, like back in uh, iOS 3 to iOS 6, you used to be able to swipe uh, left to right to get over to like this um, like screen zero that had all of your search content in it. And but now you can still swipe down on the home screen and also get to the exact same thing, which doesn't make sense to me. And then by default, you get these weird Siri suggestions for news that aren't related to anything, and also this uh, this maps suggestion that shows you like just nearby stuff, whether or not you want it. So both of those, after much much searching, can be turned off. But I think that whole section is just really weird and unexplained as to what it does. Yeah, I, hmm, I, and like this, the series suggestions too. Like I, I, I just, I just don't, I just don't find those useful at all. And I can't really even think of a situation where they would be. Do you mean the contacts and the applications? 
Yes. So like when so when you when you swipe down well so when you swipe down it's just app suggestions, right? But then when you go to like home home screen zero, it's I see contacts, apps, and then like nearby. No, because th- it it should be the exact same screen. I think I found the difference is when you pull down rather than going um to home screen zero, you Oh, actually no, you're right. It is just it's just app suggestions. And I but things I found the app suggestions to, to for some reason be insanely accurate. Like I don't know how they're figuring it out, but generally whatever I do want to use next is there. Mm, I maybe I haven't given it a fair enough shot, but I, I have not had that experience. Like yeah, like I guess maybe it knows that like after I I, I check like uh, my work email, it knows that I might want to use my my work chat application too. So like a lot of that is is insanely accurate, which freaks me out. Um, and then the contact suggestion is actually pretty good. Um, but no, there is a way if you go into settings and then general and then spotlight search, you can go and scroll through like every single application that you have that could be built into the spotlight search and turn off, um, I think it's called spotlight suggestions. And that will allow you to stop getting those weird news stories in it. And then also you can turn off maps to have it stop suggesting uh, just those weird placeholder categories. Yeah, like the the nearby thing. Yeah, which for me was always bars, which I did not like. So mine currently is restaurants, bars, convenience, and nightlife. Like, I think that's always what it is, and I don't like that. I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think it's always... It's, I don't think it's nightlife, like, during the day. <laughs> that makes sense. Which would make sense. But um, I, I could have sworn it was always bars any time of the day, which I did not like. Yeah, Right. One thing I I did just actually notice today that I do like is um when you uh, when you use the app switcher which actually side note I actually hate the new app switcher I think it's a huge downgrade over what it was in iOS seven and eight I don't think so but I also don't think there was much to write home about the other one for but yeah good. yeah well I I I just I find myself consistently tapping on the wrong window I hate the fact that you can only see two at a time. Like, I just think that that's stupid. I think you should be able to see more. But I can see four um, at a time. Eh, kind of. Like, as you're swiping over on one, you can, like, see the edge of the first one and then see a very blurry image of the fourth one. But really, two are kind of, like, in focus. But that's the that's the same way. Anyway, that's the same way it was before. If I, I know, if not but worse. I no, I know. But I just think it's. I just think with the way that it looks, and I just think it looks worse. But anyway, um, what is cool is that every once in a while, I can't tell when this what prompts this, but when you go to the app switcher, there'll be like a bar at the bottom, which will be kind what of like that? a. It's like it's a recommendation. So like when you're playing audio. Like in in Overcast or music or wherever, generally that bar is going to be a quick link to get you to your the audio player that you're using. Um, but I've also seen it where, um, like on my way home today, the Starbucks app came up there because I was like close to a Starbucks, and it was like you know, and it it'll tell you the app and it'll tell you why it selected it. So like whenever you're playing music or a podcast it'll say like overcast and then it, it below that it'll say like you know current audio player or something like that um and then like with starbucks today it had said like location nearby so that i think that's actually that's actually kind of cool um but that's really been the only sort of like 
suggestion thing that I've found remotely useful so far. Hmm. Yeah, I can't get that to work, but that that seems like it'd be really useful. Like, cause just like similar, like when it's on the home screen, and in the lower left you get that little icon, based on location. Yeah, I. It doesn't seem like it consistently does it, but um, when it does, I, I find it to be pretty useful. And I think that's the part about this feature that it it seems rather cryptic. Like, I know they're trying to uh, like position it as like a Google Now competitor, where it's supposed to just be uh, predictive and you just it always presents what you need. But I think there's just too little information about it. If one could know how it works, it might be more useful. Yeah, maybe it'll get better over time. It made it, maybe it'll be like Siri itself, where just over time it'll get better. But yeah. uh, right right now, I just don't find it very useful. Sure. And on that note, I do think Siri is is getting better. Responsiveness is definitely a lot better. I do like that, uh, like, we, like we talked about earlier, there, uh, that Siri now responds uh, without dinging at you. She'll just vibrate at you. The the waveform animation is pretty nice, and it's just nice and speedy. So I think I think Siri is definitely getting better. Yeah, and I think it's it's good on the um, um, watch too, much better on the watch. Hmm. That I haven't tried, but one of the things I am excited to try, sort of, is that um, people have been mentioning that there's like contextual, like application based Siri reminders. Like if you want to go back to a podcast episode, you can say, "Remind me about this later." But the thing that I wouldn't want is I don't really want that because I, I don't use the built-in reminders app. I don't really want it to go there. But that the phone, that Siri knows what you were doing on the phone, I think could be something that's really powerful in the future. Well, I think, though, when you set a reminder using Siri, it, it doesn't so much go to the reminders app as it does just to kind of like, I don't know, whatever central reminders table there is in ios because like when i set a reminder using siri no because like when i set a reminder using siri it shows up in fantastical as well well that's because it's using the reminders application as the back end well okay that's what i mean but it's not it's not going to like the reminders app specifically it's just going to well i mean whatever you know whatever database that that the reminders app is pulling from but it's the reminders app Eh, i don't i i would see that as if, like, when you set a reminder using Siri, like, you could only see the reminder in the Reminders app, and that you couldn't even see it across any other app. Okay. Like, that's different. Gotcha. But to actually be able to get back to the application, I think that's something that's the Reminders app exclusive. Oh, probably, yeah. Yeah. And that, that, yeah, that... I, I, it seems like it's just it's a matter of time until they open Siri up to third-party apps. I'm, I'm kind of surprised they haven't yet. Hmm. That feels like something that's inevitable, but it just you know, just hasn't happened yet. Yeah. All right. So what what else is going on uh, with uh, with iOS nine? I think I think that's it. I mean, I feel like well, no, no, no. So so there's there's new uh, the new power saving mode, which I'm too uh, too scared to try. Um, there's a new battery widget that's in the uh, in the notification oh, I tray. Disabled that immediately. See, I don't mind it because I'm not because I, I can't stand having uh, the battery percentage on in the status bar. So that's that's a sensible way for me to check. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you have the the battery percentage on? Oh, absolutely. So, it was, so how do you mean you turn you turned off the other one? That that seems like it seems like the reverse madness. Well, I guess the the, the madness of the notification center was that it was showing me the same piece of information twice. Well, sure. Okay. Well, for me, it makes sense because I don't want to see that unnecessary information all the time because it makes me anxious sure but then whenever 
but but it it doesn't make you anxious that like if you want to see your battery you have to like go to this other menu to check it no because before if i wanted to see my my battery life i had to go to settings general and the battery <laughs> but normally i would just count on it being dead by three well anyway we but you, I mean, you can you can still see the icon though so i mean you could you could probably guess within five to ten percent where your battery is at all times anyway i think it only ha- it only has five states does it really yeah no it's not that specific oh yeah i mean i, I don't pay any attention to it but of course you know because you're too busy there watching it go down percent by percent <laughs> or uh, it rapidly <laughs> uh, because just like if it ever went down by a single percent and i saw it at the time as it was switching that would drive me nuts i would literally like turn off the phone <laughs> Eh, it doesn't really bother me. All right. So and, and so, uh, so battery life, that kind of stuff. So there's low power mode, which will uh, turn off the mail fetching and stuff. And there's a lot of other tweaks. Like you have um, like the wallet got some improvements. I haven't uh, had a chance to play with it, but apparently you can in- um, integrate like loyalty cards into it, um, which will be neat. You can uh, specify which card you want to use uh, from the lock screen, which is nice now. Um. And then the news app, that, that's going to be a big one. God. Yeah. I, I'm glad Newsstand doesn't exist anymore just because I like it was a because it, it'll hopefully stop people from like Newsstand just fostered a whole bunch of like the, the New York Times app. Like there's a reason there's a weird reason like why everybody was so excited about the NYT now app because it was a, a, like a good New York Times app. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. Yeah, like, and, and now, hopefully, the New York Times will revise the regular iPhone application because it's now uncoupled from newsstand, and it doesn't have to necessarily emulate, like, the newspaper sections as much as it had in the past. It was so funny that um, they, like, when you upgrade to iOS 9, that the um, newsstand just became, like, a folder. That's all it was before. Yeah. <laughs> it, was just, it, was, it was, like, an overly ornate folder. And then also uh, iOS 9 includes more privacy controls, which is cool. And it also introduces content blockers, which we'll talk about shortly. Um, there's a lot of stuff in here. What else is there? I, mean, I guess the, the content blocker thing is a big one. Um, Before we move on to that, what else? Oh, yeah. I don't mean to move on to that topic, but I, just, that, I do but see that's it as be being like a, a big feature. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Apple, well, actually going back to Apple News, I think it actually will be bigger, not because anybody wants it to be, but Apple seems to be placing like an unusual amount of focus on it. Like apparently they've made a couple of deals with content partners, like Wired has some stories that are only readable through Apple News for like the first week. And they've paid the New York Times and Bloomberg to on their social media feeds to send links through Apple.News links. Which just ends up like re- uh, redirecting you like four different times before you, it dumps you into the news application. Oh, it's just it's weird stuff like that. Which it, it it shocks me that Apple cares that much to go through all this trouble. But I don't know. Well, um, you know, it, it does feel like one of those things where, you know, we we know all the best you know news apps, Flipboard or whatever your favorite RSS reader is. Like we we know all the third party apps that are out there. But I think just for like a new iPhone user, just you know, a regular kind of non-nerdy iPhone user, these these stock apps mean a lot, right? Like, I mean, what was Apple's stat during the um, iOS nine um, 
uh, unveil at WWDC, like, was it like 60 something percent of people use the stock notes app? Um, I mean, it, uh, these stock apps mean a lot. Oh, I mean, notes got a big upgrade. Thank you. Right. But, but yeah, that's, that's strange. Like that's completely foreign to me, but that totally makes sense. Exactly. So I think, you know, for, for nerds like us, the news app is, if anything, just annoying. It's an, it's another, it's another one of those apps to put into the defaults defaults folder well, what's yours called i apps respectable and can can i can i turn that just a little bit uh, i take it and turn it please so uh, one of the things the lady was complaining about when when she upgraded to ios 9 they there are i think three or four new unremovable applications so find my friends is now mandatory uh find my iphone is now mandatory and there's a couple others so there are more things that used to be uh, downloads that you had to do from app from the app store uh, app store specifically that are now required to be on your phone that are undeletable. Hmm. So that's that just seems to be getting getting worse because, like, I understand people like wish they could delete the stocks application and there are certain ones like that, but find my iPhone and find my friends and family. It seems those should seem like opt in downloads, but whatever. I yeah, I completely agree. And there was that good that good Tim Cook interview this week where he addressed that issue and said it was something that they were thinking about. Well, sure, but it seems like to to be saying that and also doubling down on what's forced on you is, is weird. No, yeah. my, my my defaults uh, folder is now three pages long. I know, mine too. All right, and the notes application got updated, but nobody cares because it's the notes app. Who doesn't use Evernote or Simple Note? I use I actually do use the default notes app. Oh, okay. And I use that in drafts. You finally got on drafts. Nice. Yeah, well no, I've I've had drafts for a while. I oh, got good. that like last year. Do you uh do you just do you like the way it works? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those apps that either just frustrates a lot of people or um they absolutely love it. I don't usually I don't take a lot of notes on my iPhone, so I don't use it a ton, but I do want to try try the new Notes app a bit more, though. Yeah, maybe. Kind of like the, like the auto reminder creation and the lists and links and things like that look look kind of nice. Yeah. Whenever they um, uh, offer an Apple Pencil for the iPhone six plus, well, let's do that. <laughs> it does kind of seem inevitable, right? That the Apple Pencil is going to make its way onto more devices. I think it has to. I think that because again, I think the iPad Pro is going to be an extremely limited product, just because it's 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 sheer massiveness will just turn people off. I don't I don't know so much about that, but I I do I, do I think really... it's sheer price point will turn people off. Sure, um, but yeah, I do think that um, the the pencil is going to make its way. I I wouldn't even be surprised to see it make its way across like the entire iPad line. Oh no, I'm sure. I'm sure certain uh, certain people would enjoy um, sketching on on an iPad Mini. Yeah, but on on I was I was joking about the phones. I'm not really sure that would be um um too too wise. Yeah, I'm still I'm still just sitting here looking at the space black stainless steel Apple Watch with the link bracelet. Good. It's $1,100. You do what you need to do. Uh, a great philosopher once said, you do you. It's a lot of money. That's fine. 
Um, so, um, anything else or content blockers? So, I mean, I think I think that should be the last topic of the show. We are running long here. Sure. Um, I think the the other smaller topics in here, I, I think they're not particularly time sensitive. We could get back to them if we really feel like it next week. Sure. Um, so yeah, and then the, the the content blockers. Let's let's do that to wrap it up. Okay. Uh, so why don't why don't you give some background here? So one of the f- key features of iOS nine, since iOS doesn't allow you to use any different type of web browser, uh, web browsing engine. So the in- integrated WebKit engine, uh, iOS now allows you to install content blockers, which in on like traditional desktops that usually meant AdBlock Plus or some type of plugin that allows you to filter what gets uh, delivered to the web browser. So that allows people to write plugins. Uh, Marco Arment, the person who currently writes Overcast and uh, made Instapaper, um, created one called Peace, which was incredibly popular and became the number one paid application upon release. Um, and there's a few others. I think one's called Crystal and one's called Purify. But overall, it's uh, they're just uh, plugins that go into Safari on iOS and allow you to strip out the ads and kind of uh, unjunk the internet, basically. And that's that's a pretty big thing, one, because it shows, or because Apple's opening up WebKit just a little bit. They're definitely not allowing you to specify a different web browser, but they're allowing you to tweak your internet experience. And also because it's um, kind of a direct, um, j- I don't know if jab is the right word, but like a, a attack on Google, because Android makes Google no money, but advertising is what's funding Android. And that's where Google makes all its money. And they're one of the biggest web advertisers and web tracking firms in the entire world. And that's what content blocker uh, content blockers are doing. They're they're hurting Google. So overall, it's, it, it was a really interesting week because it brought out a lot of different opinions from small and big publishers who were like, this is the end of the internet to people who are examining this from a business perspective versus uh, being an Apple versus a Google thing and just everyone in between. So it just, it, it exploded within like a day and a half and it was, it was kind of nuts. Yeah. You know, um, I, you know, I, I've had sort of mixed opinions towards Marco, which I think has kind of come through on the show, but this was really fascinating to, read what he what he was talking about with his experience with peace and um i kind of i kind of felt for him in a lot of ways like i i feel like the 180 that he did over the course of just a day well and we should explain that he released the number one ad blocking program and then after he got a lot of grief from friends of his like john gruber and people who felt that there are certain unobtrusive had uh, types of ads that were not whitelisted that it was more complicated and required and it was a, a more nuanced topic so he pulled the app from the store and suggested that everybody go get refunds for it because he just couldn't handle it and wasn't necessarily sure that's a project that he wanted to to take on well then apparently um as a side note apple's now issuing refunds to all people who purchased the app which is almost unheard of which I did, which Marco had pointed out, he don't, he doesn't think that's ever happened before. So that's crazy. He's a pioneer. Yeah, um, but I, but I, you know, a lot of what he wrote, all of what he wrote, I, I really felt, I, I felt for him. Like I, I, I felt like his change of heart was completely reasonable. Um, 
you know, you could probably make a case that some of these things should have been thought of pre-release, but I could kind of see why maybe they wouldn't be and why you would need kind of some real world, real world feedback well, before and, and, you'd. And I also think it was because he didn't expect the level of success that he had. So if it was something that uh, like, let's say became mildly popular and only super nerds were using, it would have been very different. But since it became so widespread, it had a much bigger impact than he thought it would. Right. Totally. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I think another reason why, you know, I, I really connected with what he wrote about was, you know, I, I work for a company which is primarily ad-supported, and it, it it's, a, it's a tricky thing. I mean, I, you know, in, in my particular case, one of the reasons why th- that fact, you know, I, I don't really think negatively upon it is because I feel like the way that we do ads is sort of unobtrusive um, and is done sort of in smart ways. And it, which doesn't really impact the um, experience, um, whereas there are lots and lots of examples on the open web where that is certainly not the case. Um, but but over the course of the last week, you know, I I, I actually purchased Peace the twenty four hours it was on sale, and I've, I've continued to use that um, on my iPhone. Um, I should put it on my iPad too. I don't know why I haven't done that. Um, and then I also. Uh, downloaded uh, Ghostry for Chrome and um, have been running that as well. And, you know, I, I continue to kind of struggle with it a little bit in the sense that it it, it does feel wrong just to kind of block everything. Because uh, I, I, don't, I don't think all advertising is bad. It, quite the opposite. I, I think good advertising is actually effective and can be good in, in, in a lot of ways. Um, but you know, um, at the same time, there's just so much bad advertising out there that it's it's become almost untenable to not use some form of content blocking. And I think that's exactly I mean, that's exactly why it exists in iOS now. Well, and, and I should uh, to expand on your point. I, I'm not sure that it's necessarily that ads are so bad, which which they they are for a number of reasons. They're they're obtrusive. They're becoming like if, if you just look at the Verge, like the Verge is. Uh, like I, I have a quad core i7 Mac, and it it struggles to load this bloated web page full full of junk. Well, that's sorry, that's only if I turn Ghostery off. But like, ads are becoming bigger. For me, one of my big things is autoplay video, which which is just insane. Where things will just start talking at you, and luckily that uh, Chrome integrated that feature where you see that little speaker icon to know which tab is making noise on you. But it, it it's also the tracking. So, so many of these ad networks will track you across websites. So if I go to like Nordstrom.com or Nike.com and I look at some shoes and I, and I don't decide to buy them, that follows you around the internet for three months. It's just, it's, it's stuff like that. That's just it, it, crazy. And it, a lot of, a lot of it's not just like reminding you of purchases you can make. A lot of it's just tracking your, your browsing habits and trying to sell you stuff and build dem- demographic information on you. So I think Marco has made a lot of really solid points. So before he released Peace, I think like three months ago, he wrote something about like the ethics and morals of uh, ad blocking. And he mentioned that uh, ad blocking is not necessarily a bad thing. It could be a morally ambiguous thing or something that you should give more thought to, but that it's not just you visit a website and you're agreeing to see ads. It's not just a visual thing. It, there's so much stuff that you don't get a choice to see what it's downloading and how it's tracking you and all these scripts that some third-party advertiser is forcing on your computer. So I think it's, it's a really complicated subject. 
but it's gotten way worse ever since most people are finding that at least at its current state, like paywalls, unless you're the New York Times, aren't really working. And of course, it's the internet, so nobody likes paying for anything. So, it, oh, it's just a really tricky subject. But how that's manifested itself has been with really, really awful and obtrusive and privacy-invading advertising. Right. And I, I feel like the 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 happy middle ground, it, it's out there, right? It's using something like ghostry or, or peace but then you know whitelisting the the sites and the services that you that you are okay with um you know the the example which comes to mind is something like the deck which you know gruber uses and six colors uses um where there's no tracking involved it's a very unobtrusive ad that just kind of hangs out in the corner um you know not blocking an ad like that i think makes a lot of sense but to get to that point where you're using something like ghostry and you've okayed the stuff that you're, you know, you're fine with, like it, it, it takes a lot of manual effort. Like it, it just feels like there need, there's maybe an opportunity for some type of ghostry like plugin that by default kind of allowed the types of ads that a majority of people are okay with. Sure. I, mean, I don't. I don't really know how you do that, but you know, you kind of know what I mean, right? Sure, and I mean, I think that's just it, it's a really hard problem. And and again, like I I didn't realize that the the conversation had as much nuance as it actually does because a lot of people who I follow and and value their opinions, like Ben Thompson, has like some real. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter, but he has some really strong opinions which are against ad blocking. And just a lot of people who bring forth points of view that. I wouldn't necessarily have considered on either side of things. Like I think Nilay Patel, who who posted the thing on The Verge, it comes off as really, really arrogant as as somebody who's writing or who's running one of the worst offenders on the internet of bloated and ad heavy and just uh, like user hostile websites, telling Marco Arment that he's crushing the independent web, like stuff like that's really weird. But I think the convert this this whole internet meltdown or whatever just happened it's bringing out a lot of opinions for a really difficult conversation that's going to have to happen over the next few years because blocking this stuff is going to get simpler and this is something that has happened to almost every industry like it's how dvrs have impacted uh television and that's why we now have product placement and that kind of stuff to make up for the lost revenue and that's why native advertising is becoming a much bigger thing where when you go to a website you're not really sure what's actual like completely creative editorial content or something that was paid by an advertiser to be there and you have to go and search for was this sponsored by somebody i think it's gonna be just a really weird like a really weird time over the next couple of years i think the most important thing that you mentioned is just how much nuance there is in this conversation and it's it's not fair at all just to refer to advertising on the internet as like this single thing because there there is just such a wide variety of advertising and i i do think that there there are at one end of the extreme ads that basically everyone can agree suck and are terrible and should shouldn't exist and then at the other end of the extreme there are ads that i think very very few people would would have a problem with um and i i think you you do advertising a disservice if you just try to bundle all those different types of ads together um but i think unfortunately 
when you do try to get into the nuances, it, it just it just it just becomes really complicated. And I I don't think there's a there's just not a good solution to kind of like eliminate the bad ads, but keep the you know kind of using air quotes good ads. Sure, because again, only the top tier brands get to have that kind of choice. Like the New York Times, like uh, NYT now went free, but that's because they're able to get a partner like Delta Airlines or American Express that wants to sponsor like an, an application for an entire day. Like that's something that small to medium sized publishers don't have the luxury of. I mean, and I think there are certain industries where this kind of stuff is easier. Like I think people are very willing to accept that YouTube has like a, a 15 second pre-roll ad before a video. I think that's like a super fair exchange. And that's why Google, I mean, that's why YouTube, like their product pages are actually pretty clean. Like you don't see five different ads on a web page. You see one pre-roll ad sometimes. I think like video is something that has a very has very clear and cut and dry lines. Whereas print, because it's just much harder to monetize and in a way more difficult um balance to strike. And again, you gotta do what you gotta do to get paid because writing costs money. So Yeah, and I just I just I, I think that there's a way there's a way to do advertising in a way that doesn't harm the consumer and which can be profitable. Um, I think it, it's a difficult thing to do, but I just I think I think that's out there. It, it it can be done. I mean, I work for a company that's an example of that. I mean, Gruber's an example of that. Jason Snell's an example of that. Like there's there's a lot of examples of that. And kind it's, of, but he's, like John Gruber is not. He is he is such the exception to the rule. Like I like here's like here's the thing that's challenging for me whenever he writes like he's like he's built his career on making like decisions of ma- like creating a loyal user base and making responsible decisions with advertising but again like his story is not typical at all like ben, again Ben Thompson he's somebody who can't really make that work but therefore he's built a built a like a strong enough following paying for premium subscriptions to his content to make his finances workable and I just think that in a system where ad blocking becomes mainstream, that's going to force out a ton of content producers. Like unless you're super small and you have like this niche market that you can target and get subscriptions for or get super targeted advertisers that want your audience or that you're super big and broad and you can appeal to everybody, I think all those people in the middle are going to have a huge, huge problem. And that that's the part that worries me, but also I don't necessarily have a good solution for. Yeah, I, you make make good points. But I, I think, you know, if anything, I, I'm, I'm hoping that by bringing this up the way that we are, it, it, it just does highlight the fact of how complicated this is. Sure. I, I, there isn't a right or wrong answer one way or the other, I don't think. Um, but I think that what's important is to just is to emphasize how complicated the issue is. Yeah. I mean, and I think we we approach it the right way, which is that we we take no advertisers because none of them want to. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's it's like we have a built-in content blocker. <laughs> I think that's a, a good place as any to end it. I I agree. All right.